Welcome to the Forgiven Nutritionist podcast, and today I'm talking with Dr. Julie Greenberg. She's a licensed naturopathic doctor and registered herbalist who specializes in integrative dermatology. She is the founder of the Center for Integrative and Naturopathic Dermatology, a holistic clinic that approaches skin and hair problems by finding and treating the root cause. She is also the founder of RootCauseDermatology.com, a medical education website that trains functional medicine practitioners on how to treat dermatological conditions. Her research on the gut microbiome of acne patients has been published and presented at multiple conferences. She teaches dermatology classes at naturopathic medical schools and is highly sought after speaking at conferences across the U.S. Here's a clip from today's show. Yeah. The place where I usually like to start is what do we want in? And that's, we start, every patient I talk a lot about with fiber. And we start with, they start with a little bit of homework after the first visit. I have them track like three or four days of what they're eating, don't change anything. And then we have them add up how much fiber they're getting on any kind of normal day. So we start there. I like my adult patients to be getting about 35 grams of fiber a day. Very few, um, you know, Americans or Western, you know, people are at that because we don't talk about fiber. We don't teach fiber. So once we've established, maybe a patient is at half of that, right? And they're getting about, you know, 17 grams of fiber a day. The first thing I work on is getting that fiber up because a lot of what's happening in our culture is um, things like sugar and meat and grains are crowding out the vegetables and if someone just focuses on getting the vegetables in and the fiber up, it will naturally get that kind of junkier food down. So I feel like that's easier for patients than don't eat this, don't eat that, don't eat this, don't eat that. Hey everyone, just a quick break to show some gratitude to our sponsors and give you some special deals. Pendulum Probiotics is a powerhouse in gut wellness. Acromancia, Metabolic Daily, and Glucose Control all contain Acromancia, which is a key player in gut health. It fosters the growth of acromancia, aiding in digestion, nutrient absorption, immune resilience, and a positive impact in your overall well-being. If you're ready to experience Pendulum Probiotics, unlock an exclusive 20% discount on your first month's membership by entering my unique code when you click on the Linktree link in the show notes. Thank you so much for being on, Dr. Greenberg. Thank you so much for having me, Wendy. It's a pleasure. Why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe either how you got started in dermatology or just a little bit about your background too? Yeah, so I am um, Dr. Julie Greenberg. I'm a naturopathic doctor and I specialize in dermatology. Um, for th- If you have listeners who don't know what a naturopathic doctor is, uh, we're a little bit different than conventional doctors. Well, I would say that there's differences and there's similarities. The similarities is uh, we both have four years in medical school. Um, we're both licensed uh, doctors and physicians, uh, but with naturopathic doctors, it does depend on the state. So I am licensed in California, Oregon, and Washington. Um, the difference is, you know, most of our conventional MDs, um, the four years of medical school, it's based on um, treating with pharmaceuticals or surgery. Um And that can be really useful for some diseases, but for chronic long-term diseases, you know, pharmaceuticals aren't going to be a a fix. They're going to be more suppressive medications. So 
I think, you know, anyone who's got diabetes or heart disease, um, high cholesterol, you know, the idea is that you're going to go on this medication and you're going to stand it forever because the medications are controlling symptoms. They're not fixing the problem. They're just kind of pushing back down inflammation or suppressing symptoms. Naturopathic medicine, the goal is always to try and find and treat the root cause. So we're always asking the question, why is this going wrong? Like, why do you have diabetes? Why is there high blood sugar? Um, you know, why do you have high blood pressure? Why isn't your blood pressure normal? Let's go fix those underlying root cause problems. And then that problem will resolve and we don't need to be on suppressive medication the rest of your life. Uh, so that's the naturopathic approach. And I specialize in dermatology. Um, another kind of principle of naturopathic medicine is that all the systems in the body are connected. I mean, it sounds silly when you say it, right? Obviously, we're, we're in one body and all of those organ systems are working together. But in Western medicine, we've really chopped them up as like they're separate organ systems. And that's great it's in some cases if you really need a specialist. But again, for these chronic diseases, you know, what's happening in your liver is affecting what's happening on your skin and what's happening in your gut is affecting what's happening in your skin and your endocrine and your hormones. And so it's all working together. And so as naturopathic doctors, even though we may have specialties, like I specialize in dermatology, we're always thinking about the whole body. How is it working together? How are organ systems impacting it? If you go to a conventional dermatologist, they're not going to really ask you like, oh, you know, how's your pooping? <laughs> Are you pooping every day? For them, that's, that's a gastrointestinal issue. They don't care about that and they don't really see the connections that we do in naturopathic medicine. So that's a little bit of an overview of who I am and kind of how I approach things. Yeah. Uh, one of the, my favorite things about, um, I'm, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Um, Perry Nicholson is he says no system ever gets injured alone or it, no system ever heals alone. It all starts, one thing affects the other thing, whether it's for the bad or for the good. So yeah, I'm definitely glad that you said that too, because um, I don't think a lot of people realize that, that one thing definitely impacts another, even though it's, you think it might be totally separate, <laughs> but they definitely all, all touch each other some way. 100%. I think we're yeah. starting to move that way. Even in conventional medicine, you'll hear about things like the gut brain access and the gut skin access, but it's kind of just starting to come out and it's not taught in conventional medical school. In naturopathic medicine, all four years, I mean, that's all we're being taught is how the systems interact. So yes, it's important. <laughs> And, and the spirit, right? It's also, it's not just body, it's mind, spirit, and mm -hmm. and everything else, events in your life. It, it all impacts our health and our body. Yes, yes, 100%, yes. Um, well, and today we were going to talk a little bit about the dermatology side of it, uh, the aspect with you. So what are some of the, um, I guess, most common dermatological uh, issues that you see in your office regularly? Yeah. So what I see, um, so I see chronic dermatological complaints. So not like, oh, I got a cut and it got infected or like a hand, foot and mouth disease. I see these conditions that people are living with for kind of long periods of time. Um, so, um, you know, the most, the two most common conditions I see, I would say are acne, um, and eczema, um, acne. I mean, who, you know, who here, who listening has never had a pimple, you know, nobody, we've all, we've all had a pimple at some point. Of course, some people have, um, much more severe acne. And I think there's this misconception that acne is something that happens to teens mm -hmm. that used to be much more true, but now adult 
acne, adult even onset acne, is really on the rise and I see more adult patients with acne than even teens. And then eczema, um, eczema is just such a rough disease. I see patients starting at three months old and you know some of my oldest patients are in their 70s. Um, it can go away on its own, it can last a lifetime. And when it's bad, it's really bad and it really can impact the whole family, especially with infant eczema, parents aren't sleeping, siblings aren't sleeping, and um, it's a pretty serious disease. People kind of think of it like, oh, you probably got like a little patch of itchy, but eczema can be very severe and very life impacting to people. Those, those are the top two I see. Um, you know, disease, skin diseases that are less common in the population, but I also see a lot of psoriasis, <laughs> rosacea, um, something called seborrheic dermatitis, which is a fancy word for either dandruff on the scalp or there's certain rashes that are subderm, seborrheic dermatitis, and hair loss. Hair loss of all sorts, including autoimmune, uh, like alopecia areata, which is an autoimmune disease where the person is starting to attack their own hair follicle and kill it. And you can just have little patches of hair missing or people can lose hair. Every single hair on their body can go. So again, autoimmune can be pretty serious. Well, and for some of those top um, main conditions, because like you said, the one is especially some of those are autoimmune. So those might be you, you probably have to dig a little deeper to figure out what's going with those. But for most of them, um, for acne, for example, um, how does diet and nutrition play a role in some of that skin health uh, for anybody, yeah. really any age? Yeah, it's huge. It's It's really huge. I mean, some people are able to clear up their skin conditions just by revamping their kind of diet and lifestyle issues sometimes. Um, you know, it's interesting. There was this kind of belief um, within conventional dermatology for many years that diet didn't impact acne. So for many years, people would go to their dermatologists and say, well, is this something that I'm eating? And their dermatologist would say no. And that stemmed from a research um, study that was done this point, I don't know if it was like 30 plus years ago, and they they decided to test like milk chocolate and potato chip. It was like all of this garbage food that they decided to test and see if there was any difference when they were eating one versus the other. And lo and behold, there wasn't because it was all kind of garbage. Mm -hmm. And so they decided it was like one was like Coca-Cola. I mean, it was really a tremendously poorly designed study. But the result was, didn't matter which of these junky foods they were eating, it didn't impact their acne, no surprise. And so for many years, it kind of perpetuated down that all the dermatologists would say, no, there's, there's no impact of what you eat on your acne. Then finally, proper studies were done that showed very much uh, what you eat does impact your acne in a huge way. And now, you know, dermatologists are much more well-informed and understand that what their patients are eating does have an impact. And it's not just acne, it's eczema. Mm -hmm. And eczema, in, in acne, I think it's more, it's it's causing an inflammatory response and driving sebum production. Sebum is the oil gland within a hair follicle and that's kind of the kickoff point for acne. So if you're getting cranked up sebum production in the hair follicle, that's gonna lead to acne and food can drive that process. There's something called the mTOR pathway that it drives. In eczema, food and, and nutrition can impact it in a totally different way and that um, patients can either have food allergies or food sensitivities. And when they eat something, it can make their eczema flare. And it doesn't have to be a classic food allergy, something like, you know, we know sometimes people eat a peanut 
and they can't breathe, they get hives, their mouth gets inflamed. It doesn't even have to be like that. It can just be whenever they eat dairy or eggs, their eczema is going to totally flare. But, you know, food, um, nutrition, it's always a very good starting point for dealing with um, chronic skin issues. Well, and one thing I try to um, talk with my clients about is sometimes people think that, since you mentioned peanuts, that can be more of an instant response. And so sometimes people are only looking for an instant response. When I try to explain to them, sometimes it can take two or three days before you have that sensitivity actually show up as acne on your face or pain in your joints, depending what it is. So yeah, it's, it's hard for people to separate because especially nowadays in this world, we want everything instantly, <laughs> even if it's a reaction, we want that rea instant reaction. So we know, but it doesn't always work like that. Yes, you're 100% right. And that is because it's a different immune response. So the allergic response, the I eat a peanut and immediately I have trouble breathing or my lips swell or I break out in hives, that immediate reaction is a true food allergy. It's IgE. That's immunoglobulin E. That's an immediate reaction. So people who have true food allergies, they know about it because they have that immediate reaction. What you are talking about and the other thing I was talking about are food sensitivities and that is IgG or IgA reactions and that is by nature a delayed reaction. And I also have to go through this with my eczema patients. No, I know you had a blood test and it didn't say that you were allergic to dairy. You're not allergic to dairy, but you do have a food sensitivity to dairy and every time you eat it, you notice that two days later you break out in an eczema rash it's because it's not IgE it's IgG and IgA and you're right it's a little bit harder for us to conceive sometimes because we are like give it to me now well what if I eat something and it's affecting me shouldn't it happen right now and the answer is no not if it's a food sensitivity it, it is a by definition a delayed reaction yeah and a lot of people uh, especially when they don't have dairy every day since we're talking about dairy too. Um, if they don't have it every day, but they have it every three or four days, uh, one doctor referred to it as like the slow drip, you know, you're still constantly getting that in your system. And so of course that you're going to constantly have that aggravation or that sensitivity. If you add that slow drip to it, just because it doesn't drip fast, it's still, it's still entering your system and, and causing irritation and wreaking havoc, quite honestly, sometimes. <laughs> 100%. Absolutely. Yeah. Gluten. A lot of people are like, well, I'm only eating gluten, you know, once or twice a week. It's like, well, but exactly what you're saying, you know, it's like if you only drank Drano once or twice a week, things wouldn't be going well either. It's right. some people's bodies really react negatively to these foods. And it's that that is a pretty constant inflow of something to do it. You know, it's different if you're doing it once a year, but if you're doing it right. on a weekly you know, ongoing basis, you're, you're getting continued exposure. Yeah. Since we were kind of talking about food and, and stuff, uh, what kind of foods or drinks do you recommend since people kind of like to separate their drinking and not even necessarily alcohol, but just any drink in general, what kind of food or drinks do you recommend that people um, either always incorporate or always remove at least to start with? So not necessarily that they have to give up a or B all the time, but at least to clear up their skin or whatever is going on initially. Yeah. The place where I usually like to start is what do we want in? And that's, we start, every patient I talk a lot of, about with fiber. 
And we start with, they start with a little bit of homework after the first visit. I have them track like three or four days of what they're eating, don't change anything. And then we have them add up how much fiber they're getting on any kind of normal day. So we start there. I like my adult patients to be getting about 35 grams of fiber a day. Very few, um, you know, Americans or Western, you know, people are at that because we don't talk about fiber, we don't teach fiber. So once we've established, maybe a patient is at half of that, right? And they're getting about, you know, 17 grams of fiber a day. The first thing I work on is getting that fiber up because a lot of what's happening in our culture is uh, things like sugar and meat and grains are crowding out the vegetables. And if someone just focuses on getting the vegetables in and the fiber up, it will naturally get that kind of junkier food down. So I feel like that's easier for patients than don't eat this, don't eat that, don't eat this, don't eat that, right? There's a lot of don't. This way, it's a lot of do. Do eat this, eat all of these vegetables, get it in, let's try to get you up to 35 grams of fiber. 35 grams of fiber is pretty filling, so there's not a lot of room left over for the junk. So that's usually the way I start. Of course, you know, frankenfoods, the food that's really processed and packaged that your system just doesn't know what it is, you know, inherently is not going to be good for you. Um, we eat too much meat, too much fat, too much sugar. Um, and so definitely trying to get those down into proportion. A lot of people don't realize that, you know, a serving of meat is a palm-sized serving. It's about three, three ounces, four ounces, and you don't even need meat with every meal. I think we've convinced ourselves that, oh, for meat and protein, there's plenty of protein in plants. And, you know, when we were out in nature hunting for food, it's pretty hard to catch and kill an animal. So we really haven't evolved to eat all as much you know meat as as most americans are eating we have evolved to eat a lot of plants so that's usually my starting point um you know alcohol we do talk about uh somebody's alcohol intake you know it it, it is a toxin that's what makes us feel buzzed mm -hmm. and kind of free um that's what gives us a hangover and the, unfortunately the research has been coming out more and more that um you know, the amount of alcohol we thought was, you know, quote unquote, good for us, it, it is not. So now the new research is that basically two alcoholic drinks a week are kind of the limit, or you can start seeing negative effects like increased rates of breast cancer and other things. So sometimes I'll have a talk um, or refer patients to pod, good podcasts with that kind of information and let, let some other podcasters do the work for me. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot, you know, our whole Western diet is kind of upside down and it is a lot for some people to think about switching this all around. So that's why I like to just start with the fiber and slowly working that up, but eventually just getting them to, you know, a whole food plant centric diet, which, which I'm, I'm, I'm a carnivore. I eat, I eat meat, but again, in, in reasonable amounts is, is really the, the end goal. And, and one of the things since you were, I think people have a hard time thinking about, because um, you mentioned they have a hard time thinking that they have to eat meat at every meal also. I think they also have a hard time grasping the fact that you don't have to eat the typical breakfast food at breakfast. I mean, I eat leftovers for dinner at for breakfast a lot of times. You know, it doesn't have to always be eggs, and I definitely don't eat cereal, but it definitely, people think that they have to eat these certain things at certain times of the day when you definitely don't have to. <laughs> you're, you're right, and I think like our American culture, you know, 
North American culture, it, there's this unique thing that we've turned breakfast into this unique meal event. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a really, it's a really dessert kind of driven, right? It's cereal and milk and muffins and pancakes and waffles and syrup. And it's like actually the worst way to start your day with that stuff. But no other culture in the world starts their uh, meals. So it's interesting because when I have my patients do the fiber tracking, you know, 95% of the time, the meal with the lowest amount of fiber is breakfast because no one thinks to just eat vegetables and plants for breakfast. Cause like you're saying, it's like, well, but it's breakfast, you know, I need eggs and bacon or like a muffin and a waffle. And we, I do switch that around. Like nothing is happening different in the morning, right? Every other culture just eats food for breakfast. Exactly what you said, eat leftovers from dinner, you know, just get plants in. It's just, it's just another meal. And the more plants you can get in, the better you're going to kind of get your system going, getting, getting going on, Waffles and syrup is not not a great way to start the day. So what about lifestyle and environment? Because a lot of people, um, I think that might be sometimes an easier place to start than nutrition. I think people think of when they hear nutrition, they immediately think, oh, I have to go on a diet. Like you said, they can feel very restricted. So what about lifestyle and environment? What kind of things really play a role on your skin health? Um, especially for acne and eczema and psoriasis, like you said. Yeah, getting moving. Um, so, you know, the word exercise, I think, kind of also conjures up mm-hmm. these like, oh, now I have to like join a gym and like, uh, like uh, I have to go exercise. But exercise, you know, really, we can replace that with the word movement. So if you like walking your dog or just, you know, taking a walk in the sun or moving around in nature, even vacuuming your house, that's movement. Getting people moving, you know, most of us are stuck at computers all day. Um, this is not really a, you know, awesome position to be in all day. And we, we are meant to move our bodies. So Exercise movement really helps blood flow and helps skin um, and lowers blood sugar. That's going to always help skin. So that's one thing is just getting people to find something that they genuinely enjoy and and move their bodies. I check in on their water sources. Um, You know, unfortunately, so much of our water is contaminated. So there's, you know, water filters and glass bottled spring water and other options now, but making sure that people are getting good, fresh drinking water. Um, and I treat something called mold and mycotoxins. So a lot of my patients, um, you know, mold is one of those things. It's everywhere. If, if you leave a piece of bread out for long enough, it's going to get moldy, moldy because there's just mold all around us. But some homes are actually really colonized with mold. And it's not always something you would see. Mold can live behind the walls or in the HVAC or in the attic. Um, but if there's water that gets in either through a leak or like a pipe burst um wood is food for mold right mold is a decomposer so it eats dead trees in the forest well we build our house out of dead trees so if it gets wet mold is going to take advantage of that and people who are living in moldy environments there's a lot of skin problems um that it will cause and then mold can produce something called mycotoxins myco stands for fungal And these are toxins produced by mold that can make people very, very ill. So at the beginning, you know, I said I treat autoimmune disease like alopecia areata. I would say all of my 
skin patients have issues going on in their gut, which is why every one of my patients has to do a poop test and a pee test. But all of my autoimmune patients, they not only have issues in their gut, they have some sort of toxic issue. And a lot of times it is mold and mycotoxins. And, you know, that's a huge environmental trigger for skin problems. Um, and it really has to be dealt with if, if that's the case for somebody. Yeah, I've mentioned that before in one of my other podcasts as well, how, you know, you can eat the right diet and eat all the right foods. You can exercise great. You can have a loving spouse and have loving relationships. But if you live in a moldy home uh, or some kind of toxic environment, um, yeah, your, your health is not going to be the greatest. And your skin is definitely going to reflect that as well. Yes, 100%. A, a lot of um, eczema is driven by mold and mycotoxins in the home. Um, anytime I ever had eczema, I always know that I have an infection going on of some type. I get a weird little, it's about a dime to a nickel size spot. And uh, yeah, that's anytime I get that, I soon follow with the actual illness of some kind of infection. Of course, not anymore because I've changed my diet and everything as well since then. But back in the day, when any, anytime I had that, it's like, oh, what am I getting? What am I sick with that I don't know? <laughs> that was the, the telltale sign for me. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So if somebody has uh, something like, uh, since you mentioned eczema and we were ta just talking about that, um, what can be one of the first things that they can do um, to just kind of take control of that? Um, if they wanted to start right now today after listening to this, you know, personally themselves before they even see a doctor. Yeah. So there's, there are some foods as I was talking about before, not food allergies, but food sensitivities. There's kind of five top ones for eczema. Uh, dairy, um, uh, wheat or gluten, mm -hmm. um, soy, um, eggs. What's the fifth one? It can be uh, peanuts. There's other ones too. People can react to fish and stuff. But the first thing I do with all of my eczema patients is I take them off dairy. And let me define dairy because people think when I say dairy, they say, well, I don't drink milk. And it's more than that. So dairy is anything that came from a mammal mama. So it could be a cow, a goat, a sheep, a camel. I don't care if that originally came from a mammal mama and was intended to feed a baby, then it's dairy. So it can be milk, yogurt, um, cheese, whipped cream, all of those things from any mammal mama, take that out. Usually things will get either a lot better or at least marginally better. And then some eczema patients that the next two I would experiment with would be gluten and eggs. Those are like, it's always dairy and then often gluten and or eggs too. So that's something that's really easy, right? You just take something out of your diet and see if it gets better. You don't have to pay for that. It's not, you know, something you need to order. You just cut it out. And if somebody wants to cut out things one at a time, um, cause if, if somebody feels like, well, I eat a lot of this stuff and that's, I don't know what to eat. Otherwise just do it one at a time and see how you feel and then see how you feel when you put it back in. Um, you know, I think that's the easiest thing with eczema. Um, you know, the, the bigger picture is that all of my patients with eczema have what's known as leaky gut and mm. there's too many bad guys in there and not enough good guys. I mean, the average adult human has three to five pounds of microbes living in their gut. And 
we've evolved with these trillions of organisms. They belong there. The good guys help us. They keep us healthy. The bad guys make us sick. And our whole lifestyle is so backwards from how we've originally evolved and meant to be living that we really do kind of breed dysbiosis or the wrong species in there. A lot of what I'm doing is doing that poop and pee test, seeing what's going wrong in there and correcting that. And that's really the deep root cause work of eczema. If you know any of your listeners have had eczema or have had kids with eczema, they know they can see 10 dermatologists and every dermatologist is going to try to put them on steroids and then you know stronger steroids and then more often application of the steroids until eventually they're going to try to get them to do depixent, which is an injectable biologic that suppresses their TH2 or allergic pathway. None of that is addressing the symptom. When you go in through the gut and treat the problems in the gut and calm down that inflammation in the gut, then the whole system calms down and a lot of the eczema will resolve. So, you know, aside from cutting out those trigger foods, I would say investigating the gut and calming the gut down would be a good next step. And then the third thing for eczema, there's something called Staph aureus, Staphylococcus aureus, which mm -hmm. is a bacteria. And it is always at least over-colonized on the skin of people with eczema and lives in the nose. So there is a topical aspect to all of these skin conditions. Um, just doing the topicals usually isn't enough, but I do have a two-pronged approach. I do the, the heavy, deep work on the gut and then things on the skin. So for my eczema patients, we have to address that staph aureus, living on the skin, living in the nose. It's torturing people with that itch and, um, until you get rid of the staff, um, you're, you're going to be in trouble with eczema. Well, I never realized that some of it can live in your nose. I, I just learned something today. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's a nasal colonizer. So it, it, if you have it, it's at 100% in your nose. So sometimes, I don't know why they don't, dermatologists who prescribe me Puricin ointment, which is a um, antibacterial topical, sometimes they'll tell patients to put a little in their nose, which is the right thing to do. If you've got staph on the skin, you absolutely have it in the nose. Well, and um, I, didn't, I know we're going to wrap up in a few minutes, but um, what are your thoughts on um, using essential oils or other kind of herbal remedies, especially for skin conditions? Because I, yeah. I, I like to refer people to use some types of essential oils sometimes, not all the time. Um, and I try to caution them, depending what their other health conditions are, which ones to use or if they should use them or not. Um, what are your thoughts on essential oils? I know you, you like, you're an herbalist, so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say for herbal products, yes, a hundred, you know, it's, it's all I prescribe is herbal products, orally, topically, nasally, everything. Essential oils, um, they're a, you know, unique subset of herbal products. I love them, but there are certain caveats about it. Um, mm -hmm. The one condition I absolutely would not use essential oils for is rosacea. Rosacea, people with rosacea has very sensitive skin and it, they're just going to go crazy if you put any sort of essential oil on, even totally diluted. So I, I never use essential oils on my rosacea patients. Um, other patients, I love it. Um, I do, essential oils, um, you know, are very concentrated herbal products. They take hundreds of pounds of a plant 
let's say it's lavender essential oil, hundreds of pounds of lavender and put it in a copper distiller with water. They heat it up and they condense hundreds of pounds of you know, material into a little you know, one ounce vial of essential oil. So it's highly concentrated, very powerful. And I, I hear too often that people are using essential oils directly on their skin, which we call it NEAT. Mm -hmm. Essential oils should never be used neat or directly on the skin. We always have to put it in what's called a carrier oil. So something like jojoba oil or, you know, some sort of other coconut oil, it's got to be mixed in with something else and diluted down. So that's the first rule. I don't like to keep, put it on infants. So I try to keep it off my really, really young pediatric patients because mm -hmm. again, it is so powerful and, you know, whatever we put on our skin, we absorb it. Um, yes. So I, I try to keep it off the, the little ones. And in adults, I try to um, either direct them in exactly how I want them to use it or prescribe already put together products because you have to know with each essential oil what's called the dermal limit. And that means how much of each, like if you have lavender essential oil, what concentration of lavender essential oil is safe on the skin they have different dermal limit than let's say rosemary essential oil that's different than tea tree essential oil so each plant's essential oil has a different dermal limit and then as you start mixing them together you're building up the concentration of essential oil in a product which mixing is great because we get synergies but then you have to know what's the concentration of the overall thing are you putting it on the face where you know so it's a little bit um I think, you know, people should be guided by a knowledgeable practitioner when it comes to essential oils and shouldn't just experiment on their own. Never take it internally and never just put it directly on the skin. But I love essential oils. They are powerful, wonderful medicine. Um, I think they, you know, we've been using plants for millennium and they are powerful, wonderful medicine. Yep. And I just enjoy the smell, but the, yeah, they definitely help. And last summer I had a bad bout of poison ivy and it really helped a lot. But yes, I definitely diluted, but um, yeah, it definitely helps when I mixed several of them together and uh, it, it helps with the itch and it overall helped the length of how I had it, the duration or how I had it as well. So <laughs> yeah, they're wonderful. I mean, peppermint essential oil is really great for itch um, and they can do different things, which is nice when you're blending essential oils. Okay, this one is going to be to help with the itch and this one is going to be to fight either like fungal things if it's a candida infection or this one is a really powerful antibacterial if it's staph aureus. Um, they're great. I, I mean, I just love them. Yeah. Um, what, because uh, I recommend some of my clients, I found the makeup company called 100% Pure. And so they have like no harsh chemicals or anything in it for the skin, which makes me happy because I'm all about, yeah, like you said, the skin is the largest organ. Although I'm working on my muscles, I would like my muscles to be my largest organ, but we'll see. Someday. That's a good point. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. Is that true? Maybe the muscles are the largest, but we do call it the skin. <laughs> but the, the largest uh, organ that you can see, cause I guess, you know, that's, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but do you have any makeup companies or if somebody wants, cause I also make my own um, like body butter. So I can put a link to that in my show notes. But um, for us, some people just want a good mascara or makeup. They still like to put eyeshadow on. Do you have any recommendations for something like that? I mean, honestly, I, I try not to wear too much makeup. I just, mm -hmm. I just wear mascara and eyeliner. I try not to wear foundation ever. 
it can be tempting to wear foundation because it's like, mm -hmm. oh, I want to cover this, that, or the other, but it really is going to age your skin, you know, mm -hmm. aside from like sun protection because the sun will age your skin, but base and foundation and all that, the more you can leave it off of your skin, the better and healthier and less wrinkly your skin is going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't, I mean, I don't really recommend makeup to my patients because it's not really medical and I just try to get them to a point where they don't feel like they need foundation. You know, as far as personal care products, those are laden with chemicals. Um, yeah. And, you know, the average woman can put 150, 175 chemicals on her skin per day. Mm -hmm. And that's because of all of the products. So when you think about starting off in the morning, get up, take a shower, soap, shampoo, conditioner, you get out, you know, lotion, um, whatever, you know, toners and moisturizers, stuff you're going to put in your hair, deodorant. It's like, by the time you're done with all of that, if you, if you buy in conventional products, like from a drugstore and you look at the label, you see this just long list. It's like a chemical factory of these long mm -hmm. multisyllabic names. And each one can have, you know, 30 plus chemicals per product. And you can see how women can quite easily get to 150, 175 chemicals on their skin a day. That's where I do think learning to read labels. Um, there's something called EWG, the Environmental Working yeah. Group's um, uh, Skin Deep Database. They, they've listed products in there to help consumers navigate this. But what I talk to patients about is most of my patients are, you know, fairly savvy on the food side. They're, they know how to read labels on a food label. And, you know, food labels can also look, I mean, that's the Frankenfoods, right? You can have mm -hmm. pizza that's flour, water, tomatoes, cheese. For Okay, we, we know what those are. Or you can buy, like, sometimes the frozen pizzas from, like, the big things. Again, it's just these, like, long, multisyllabic, chemical-sounding things with, like, 20 things. And it's like, I don't know how that made a pizza, but those are the ingredients. And so it's the same with skincare products. We want, you know, the fewer ingredients, the ingredients we know what they are. Those are the foods we want to eat. Same with the skincare products. Fewer ingredients, not the chemical-sounding things. And... You know, so for, you said you made your own body butter. I mean, that's mm -hmm. great, right? Like all you need then is to melt like shea butter and, mm -hmm. you know, coconut oil, and then maybe put a little jojoba oil and maybe a few drops of essential oil for scent. And it's like, how many ingredients are in that? And you know what everything is. There's, there's no emulsifier. There's no preservative because you're not like combining oil and water. So I think it's the same with our personal care products. It's reading labels. Do you understand what these ingredients are? The fewer ingredients, the better. And just getting, you know, simple things on your skin. Um, it's it's, it's anti-aging as well. So much of what they're selling women, it's so expensive. And the irony yes. is it's aging our skin. So it's like we're paying to age ourselves, which is just sad. Yeah. Well, at the end of every episode, I like to ask my guest for their don't miss this moment. And it's kind of the one key takeaway that if the listener kind of forgets everything else, what would you want to drive home with them? What would you want them to not miss? Hmm. Probably, you know, fiber. It sounds so simple, but if all you do is work on getting 35 grams of fiber in your diet a day, you will change your gut microbiome to be healthier. Mm -hmm. And really skin health really does start in the gut. 
And so ultimately that fiber is going to translate into healthy, beautiful, you know, youthful skin. Good. I love it. I love it. Well, why don't you tell my listeners also a little bit uh, where they can find you, follow you, um, or maybe even book an appointment with you? Yes. So um, my clinic is, um, the website is integrativedermatologycenter.com. And um, I, naturopathic doctors, as I said, kind of at the beginning, were licensed by state. So I'm licensed in California, Oregon, and Washington. I can only treat patients who live in one of those um, three states. Um, so if you do, you're welcome to go to my site. You can watch a little video, me talking about how I practice um, and all of that. And then you can book a free 15-minute consult with me. If you don't, um, I have another site with courses called Root Cause Dermatology. I teach other doctors and licensed healthcare professionals how to treat in my method. And the um, practitioners who have successfully taken the course and passed are listed on the find a practitioner link on root cause dermatology. So if you don't live in California, Oregon, or Washington, you can find somebody I've trained hopefully in your area. And I also have courses on there that um, people can take on things like acne and eczema and psoriasis and rosacea and hair loss and stuff. Great. Well, thank you so much for being on today. I really appreciate you taking the time again out of your, your busy schedule. I, I know you're got a lot of, you wear a lot of hats, so I appreciate you taking the time. Well, thanks so much for having me, Wendy. It's just been great chatting with you about this. Thank you. 100% pure beauty products are safe for your skin and face. They have absolutely no toxic ingredients or hormone disruptors. You will not find any phthalates, parabens, formaldehyde, talc, PFAs, toluene, or oxybenzones in any of their products. This is important for your health. Every ingredient they use is beneficial. They have a full line of fruit pigmented makeup, skin care, and also hair and body. So click the link in the show notes and check them out today to start taking back your health. If you want to continue learning and hearing all things nutrition for your mind, body, and spirit, click like, subscribe, or favorite me on whatever podcast platform you use. Or you can find me at ForgivenNutritionist.com. This podcast was designed to educate, inspire, and empower you to achieve your health and wellness goals with your current healthcare provider. It is not meant to diagnose or treat any illness or medical condition or take the place of any treatments from your current healthcare providers.